welcome to More Than Myths. Hi, welcome to More Than Myths. I'm Corinne. And I'm Haley. And we like to talk about everything from your favorite Greek myths to your hidden conspiracy theories of the world. And each week we blow each other's minds with new information. Yeah, we do. It's our favorite thing to do. It's our favorite thing to do. How are you? I'm good. How are you? This is like our first full... We sound normal. Post-COVID healed up, not mishmashed episode. Exactly. Yay. We made it. We made it. Yay. It's been a (laughs) fucking journey. Man. The hero's journey. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not really the hero's journey. But I'm really thankful for my body journey. Yeah. It's like, I'm so happy I'm healed. Yeah, I'm so thankful. Yeah, I'm over over that. Did you see my door shut? No. Haley. That was really... Okay, the door is totally shut. Did I shut it? I didn't get up and shut it. Let me go see if Chris is here, because that's really fucking creepy, because the door is totally shut. Haley, you're so far away. I can't help you. Don't worry, I'm alive. It was me. I'm so glad. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad because I was shitting my pants. Like I am 600 miles away from you, and there's nothing I can do. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch. It's like a horror movie. Like FaceTiming yeah. as you are abducted by ghosts. That was terrifying. Yeah, oh. no, it's fine. It was just Christopher. It's and squeaky dogs. Yeah, oh it's God. just fine. I didn't see it either. But when I turned, because the dogs left the room and I was like, Yeah, because they were in there. They were in here. Not oh my funny. Gosh. But that also, was not. What yeah. <laughs> well, he went out to go bowling and then meet up with a friend afterwards and. Um, I guess he got the date mixed up. And so oh. he just, he was supposed to call me and cause he was going to like bring dinner home. Yeah. And so I was expecting to get a phone call, but he just came home instead cause it was a misunderstanding. So there wasn't any reason for him to call the me. Crap <laughs> out Jesus out of you. us. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was yeah. like, we are the dogs in there. Like you didn't yeah. shut the door. Oh boy. Well, that yeah. Was that was fun. frightening. <laughs> no, let's not ever do that again. Holy no. God. It's fine. I'm safe. I'm perfectly safe. Doubly oh, safe. That's a relief. <laughs> that's a relief. Um, so that's we went great. and saw a movie yesterday. Oh, yeah. What'd you guys see? We went and saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And it's the new Nick it's the new Cage, Nick Cage movie. movie. Is it great? There were some really fucking funny moments. Oh, there, Like, we were rolling and pedro pascal is just a gem and he's just he's so good so good and nick cage (laughs) leans into everything that nick cage is right oh it was funny so josh and i are in the car we're headed there and i was like oh i'm really excited about this movie and he's like yeah i really didn't think you were a nick cage fan though and i was like i looked at him and i was like nick nick cage and at some point he had told me that he was really interested in seeing everything everywhere all at once which is like 
another so it's another one of the movies that's like a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now and okay. in the theaters right now. Yeah. So I thought that's what we were going to see. Gotcha. Because he was like, I think he just mentioned that it got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh yeah, I know what movie he's talking about. Like that sounds great. I'm it's right. not usually my thing, but like I yeah. like to see good movies. And so right. I'm like if it's good on Rotten Tomatoes, it there's gotta be good. Great. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. We're in the car and he's like, Yeah, I really didn't think you were a Nick Cage fan. And I looked at him and I was like, wait a minute. Are we going to see the fucking Nick Cage movie? And he's like Stop the car. <laughs> he's like, What did you think we were going to see? <laughs> and I was like, if you hadn't said that to me, yeah. I would have been in the theater. <laughs> when it so started <laughs> so confused i had literally no clue what movie we were going to oh see yesterday gosh. until we were in the car on the way to have drinks with our friends before the movie right and if they had if, if nobody had mentioned how excited oh they were gosh. i would have been literally in the dark in the dark theater <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I was That's just like, so what funny. the fuck? So anyway, it, luckily, I also did want to see that movie. Yes. I'm normally not a Nick Cage fan or an no. action film fan. Like, sure, that's not yeah. my, it's not my jam. No. But I love the concept on this one where it's like yeah. a movie about Nick Cage being Nick Cage. Nick Cage. The actor. <laughs> but still doing shit, you know. It he was is ridiculous. It was it, really it funny. me up. It, it was really funny. We had a good nice. time with it. Excellent. So, good. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Nice. That was not, and then I'm getting ready to leave town. You leave on Wednesday, huh? Yep. Ooh. I have so much laundry to do. Gotta get my nails done. Like, I'm gonna have to go up to work tomorrow because I didn't have time today. Gotta go get your nails done. I'm waxing everything. Tip to toe. <laughs> Head to toe. <laughs> All of it. Tonight. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> no, We're Josh shot my armpits. Josh shot my armpits because I'm at the point in my life where I'm like waxed or grown. Or not. Yeah. Like I'm over pokey, razor sure. burn, sick of it. I'm not I'm not doing it anymore. No. I I'm a grown That's ass. That's why woman. I stop plucking my eyebrows. Yeah. Like I'm I don't give I I do not give two shits anymore. I don't care. And my eyebrows aren't terrible, honestly. Um but yeah, I just am embracing no. the caterpillars on my face. <laughs> I, love, I love the caterpillars on your face. Thanks. They're my favorite caterpillars. It's, it's better than having, man, I had like the worst like ingrown hairs, which I yeah. feel like that's really, I don't know, maybe a lot of more people suffer. Do you guys suffer from ingrown, ingrown hairs? Eyebrow hairs? Eyebrows? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I let bad mine, for me. Oh, yeah, I let mine it. grow way in, and I just kind of clean up the underneath when they get like a little too far down my eyelid. Mm, but other yeah. than that, even care. that's it. I don't, I don't even, even care anymore. But nope. yeah, so I'm I my armpits are grown in because to wax you have to have they have to be longer sure. so you can right. rip it right. Mm -hmm. So Josh was like, "Whoa!" and I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's almost wax day. Like, get over it." Get out, get out of my armpit. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't you know this it. new, the new movement in my yeah. life. We're not. <laughs> this should be nothing new. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you, what do you want from me? 
That's funny. Right. Yeah. So being sick, I didn't shave at all. Mm-mm. And I was in the shower the other day and I was like, wow, that is the longest my armpit hair has ever been. Ever. And I'm pretty sure that they were like Auburn. <laughs> Ooh. I've never grown them out long enough to know. But I was like, whoa, I'm pretty sure. But I had to get, had to shoop, shoop that. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. I'm trying to come up with like a carpet matches the drapes, but I'm like, <laughs> does the does floor the... rug? <laughs> no, that's like everywhere. That's worse. <laughs> does the floor rug? <laughs> no, that would be that would be like, yeah, I don't know. other other. other. <laughs> trying to come up with something stupid and I just said stupid things. Floor rug. Uh, I was trying to think of something smaller. No. Does the does the coaster does the dish do the throw pillows match <laughs> <laughs> that one's actually a pretty good one because they get pretty long and it's got a cushioning in there. Yeah, I mean they're soft. Uh, oh my god! Okay, I'm so sorry to everybody. Oh my gosh, she's still listening to this podcast. <laughs> We've lost everyone. They quit. They are like, you know, out, there's we're out, stuff. We're out. They were gone with COVID. We were kind of oh sick of that. And Seriously, now this is. This is the end. It's too much. Oh my gosh. All right. Oh man. All right. Well, we've got part three. Mm. Right? Yeah. And I've got stuff. Yeah. You've got stuff. I, well, I was wondering if you, do you want me to go? Do you want It doesn't matter. It doesn't really, matter to me. It doesn't really matter to me either. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors. Whoever wins goes first. You cheater. Okay, do it under your desk. Yeah. Rock, yeah. paper. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. All right, what does that mean? You won? So I won. I to go or you get to go? I get to go. <laughs> I don't have to. I'm gonna have to cut this back in from like four seconds ago when I said winner goes first. Put it here. <laughs> See, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Here we go. This is fresh. Fresh baked bread. Fresh baked bread. Fresh baked bread. <laughs> I was like, I need subjects. I gotta go. I gotta go. So anyway, here we go. We're gonna talk about something new for me. Yeah. Um, I know I'm excited. And so what I'm doing is I'm actually this is like the first step into the genre for me. And so we'll come back and do more like dive into too deeper. So anyway, I also I was I literally started five different subjects today. Wow. 
I was just couldn't decide get on the right vibe. But then I was like, okay, well, I'm saving this one for here, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'll still come back to this one. So anyway, that's where I'm at right now. Um, <laughs> everywhere, everywhere, all over the globe, all over the timelines and centuries, and AC and BC and. <laughs> gosh okay i was looking at our website today this just reminded me i am such an idiot i put that it was moses that left the animals <laughs> it was noah oh my god where did like you put that? that it's been like that since the website went live oh my god literally <laughs> no, nobody said anything everybody's so kind i don't know if anybody noticed but i just noticed so i changed it <laughs> that's hilarious i didn't notice apparently so yeah, it's yeah. fine i had it as moses no Haley, that was noah <laughs> no that was noah anyway sorry that's great that's great <clears throat> okay so today we're gonna talk about yokai which yokai are creatures from japanese folktale Yay! Our folk tales. I'm so excited. Yeah. So uh, this is my first kind of going into this. And also I have a lot of friends who are into anime and yeah. Japanese pop culture. And I and yokai are a big influence. And I'll kind of go over like how that kind of happened and what went on. So I know that I I'm admitting right now that this is all new to me. Okay. Like I literally watched my first anime this weekend. What did you watch? Um, Kerrigan and I started Orion High School Host Club on I Netflix. Don't know what it is. It's um comedy romance anime about like these high school boys that run a club for all the girls to come and hang out with the popular rich kids or okay. rich boys that are uh-huh. all handsome. Yeah. It's like over the top ridiculous and then like the first episode they add someone new and he's got to like pay them back because he broke something and so it's just this whole oh my gosh experience it was really cute so you should try um uh, there's a it's on netflix it's called violet evergarden okay you might like that one it's good okay yeah so anyway that was my first kind of step into this i'm a newbie i don't yeah have a lot of background so Again, we have mistakes. If you hear something wrong, tell me and I'll fix it. Um, but here we go. So these are creatures. Yokai are usually creatures from Japanese folktales. And they're usually strange or supernatural. Um, sometimes they don't even take a shaped shape at all. And they can just be described as like a phenomenon. Oh, okay. Or a phenomena. Um, so like, oh, this breeze hit me. It must be this creature, right? Oh, kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or ghost, whatnot. Okay. Um, so the breakdown of the translations of yokai is yo is um attractive, bewitching, calamity are the three like words that kind of fall in that, and then kai is mystery or wonder. So attractive mystery, bewitching wonder. So something like out mm. of the realm of the ordinary, mm-hmm. but something that pulls you in and you you know you want to know more. So mm-hmm. in English, yokai is translated to demon, spirit, goblin, or monster. However, the translation is really loose and it only encompasses and it encompasses a lot more than that. And so mm. I was looking at a lot of my information from yokai.com 
um, which is a book or not a book, a website that is um, from an author that writes a lot of different books on the yokai. The author talks about kind of the origin and whatnot. So this is directly from that website. And it said the world of the yokai includes ghosts, gods, transformed humans, animals, spirit possession, urban legends, and other strange phenomenon. So it's a broad and vague term, and nothing exists in the English language that quite describes it. Yokai is one of those words like samurai, geisha, ninja, and sushi that is best left in its native tongue. Mm. So it's like we can translate it, but it's better to just use yokai and Mm -hmm. know that you're talking about some sort of entity that is supernatural. So historically, yokai were linked to folklore, such as myths and legends. Mm -hmm. And also like in folklore and legends, yokai can be used to be used to explain the unexplainable, which is like, that's our common thread in almost everything we talk about, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, how do you explain this thing that is Mm -hmm. super common, but is horrible Mm -hmm. or annoying or Mm -hmm. amazing even, right? Mm -hmm. So these like, oh, they died tragically or, oh, I stubbed my toe. Right. I'm a bitch. Um, Or, oh, I got (laughs) so lucky in this un- usual situation so it's yeah. like those are the situations that yokai could be involved and in where a lot of mythology stems from right so mm-hmm. so anyway it can be used to explain the unexplainable and then these tales are passed on in villages from you know word of mouth and so on and so on then you have folk tales right so again right. according to yokai.com as well it's really hard to pin down what you would define a yokai so it's a kind of catch-all term for spirits. Um, so they can be good or just bad or ghosts or oni, which are Japanese demons or orcs. But it changes to who you're speaking to and everything has some kind of contradiction. So it's like you'd be like, okay. yokai are here, 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 and here. Uh-huh. Never here except when it's here. You know, like, <laughs> so it's just like. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the, the way this author described it was just like, it depends on who you're talking to. And so when there, and he was saying like in his website, he's just like, when I'm writing about yokai, I'm talking about Japanese folklore. He's like, and technically you can use yokai to describe all mm, kinds okay. of paranormal or unexplainable supernatural throughout the world because it essentially is encompassing that. But for the purposes of that website that I was looking at, he's like, no, I just, when I'm talking about it, it's broad, mm-hmm. but it's Japanese folktale. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, all right, cool. Um, so yokai became popular in Japanese culture in the Edo period, which was 1603 to 1868. Okay. So, you know, 250-ish years, a little bit more. Uh, where they were portrayed in all sorts of different art and culture and storytelling and theater um, productions and so on. So this Mm -hmm. whole mythological realm of creatures were being put in all kinds of art being produced at the time. Mm -hmm. The ghost stories and tales of demons and monsters were very popular, and this all slowed down before World War II, 
as the rapid modern modernization of Japan is taking place. Mm. And so they these kind of traditions and stories were put to the side because things are changing in Japan and becoming it's a, becoming kind of a different pace, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so after uh, World War II, there's a author named Shinguru Mizuki and the site I was looking at when I was doing this research says they he was they he rediscovered them and reintroduced oh, okay. Yoki to J Japan after he put them in his comic series and the comic is called GGG no Kitaro 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 I need to figure that out <laughs> Kitaro Kitaro GGG no Kitaro Okay everything sounds Spanish Um when I try, <laughs> sad. Um, You're doing great. <laughs> so then, this sparks like a second wave of fandom for yokai. So okay, now they have influenced manga, video games, yeah, movies, and like anime. Yeah, there's all these creatures coming up and being retold in all these new form art forms mm -hmm. that are extremely popular to this day. So many Pokemon have been inspired by different yokai. So there's a lot of them out there that are like the much cuter version. Uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but still a lot of that um, reference has come from yokai. So That's cool. Yeah. Um, so what kind of yokai could you come across? They're usually malevolent or mischievous on a good day. However... Some might bring you good fortune depending on the yokai you run across. So hmm. there are yokai that are animals, and some of those are like the kitsune, which is a nine-tailed fox who can trick others and sometimes protect, which nine tails, duh. <laughs> um, that's my only one that has like a Pokemon reference. And I was like, huh, so huh, that's uh, nine tails. <laughs> Tanuki, which is a raccoon dog with um, a rep for mischief, and he's a prankster. Also, um, Tanuki is seen the statues. It's so it's a raccoon dog, and the statues are outside of thousands and thousands of Japanese restaurants. So you've yeah. definitely seen the statue before. Like, oh yeah, it's iconic. And um, uh, uh, Animal Crossing and Mario. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then there's like a kappa, which are river creatures that are part, part frog, part human, part turtle, essentially, um, oh. who prefer to eat human anuses and cucumbers. <laughs> Yum. Can't wait to cover a kappa because man, oh man, they sound fun. <laughs> cucumbers uh, and butts. <laughs> butts and cucumbers. <laughs> I was great. like, I have to put this in here. We'll come yeah. back. We will come back to this. <laughs> um, so kappas were also like a great tool to keep children or kids out of the water, like to stay mm. for safety. But you're like, don't go near the water. The kappa will get you. And they're like, oh my god, my butt. You know, it's gonna eat your butt. Run away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was just like, okay, cool. Animal yokai can usually shapeshift into humans as well, and most of them like turn into women, from what I read. 
There are some yokai that look human and then transform when they're under distress or a high emotional state. My thought is that this is some kind of like sexism. I don't know that for sure, but it's like women who mm. are jealous or oh yeah, overly sad or something. Like there's a lot of creatures that are r- women wronged mm. that turn into monsters, right? And so mm. it's like like no she's just actually her feelings are hurt you don't need to make this a folktale about a monster okay <laughs> again that's my own speculation i don't know if that's totally true or yeah accurate but i was just like i feel like there's a lot Sounds of that where like, it's like mm, yeah she's emotional it's like, hmm. Ugh. anyway that's just how i kind of felt about it Rokorokubi, a human whose neck stretches and they're head floats around on their stretchy neck mm-hmm. the pictures are horrifying yikes they're scary yikes <laughs> i mean i guess it would be handy if you needed to look around a corner right yeah and it's <laughs> i i only saw the artwork that i did see i only saw women where this was happening and so they and there was one where she was like changing but then she like looked over to see like <laughs> Yuck. Oh, I was like, oh, yuck. Could you imagine you're just like standing there and no. you look up at it is looking over Dretty the neck. stall? Ah. No, no, no. no. Excuse me. I'm trying to pee. Yeah, ma'am. Could you not? Can you not? I need some privacy, okay? <laughs> um, Yuri are spirits that cannot pass on because of like love or jealousy or hatred. Mm. Um, and they were taken seriously and believed, and were believed to cause disasters or tragedies. So oh. they were like, "Don't mess with the Yuri. Like, mm. leave her alone." Mm-hmm. Right? There was one set of yogi called the Tsumogami. Tsumogami, and they are discarded household items that eventually sprout arms and legs and walk around. I saw. Okay. I saw one where it was like a broom. And yeah. I saw one where it was like umbrellas with arms and eyes and like they were flying. It was crazy. Okay. It was crazy. I don't know what they do when they walk around, but eventually they're so sad, I guess, that they just like. Because they've been discarded and they've, they've been forgotten. So okay. spring clean, touch your umbrellas, say hello. <laughs> Reacquaint I, yourself with your umbrella. Yeah, you don't want these. Sprout you don't arms want to grow arms and legs and waking you up in the night saying, hey. Oh, my God. Could you imagine if your umbrella woke you up? You're like, I'm dreaming. <laughs> no. This isn't real. <laughs> oh. um, so the origin of the yokai is from Shinto principles. And Shinto is the oldest, oldest religion in Japan. And, that actually, and Shinto actually translates to the way of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, yokai are believed to be on the border of this world and the other world. Mm. Um, so they're usually found in areas where they can avoid humans as much as possible. So AKA the mountains, forests, and rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're most likely to appear between the hours of twilight and dawn. So like when the veils mm. are at their thinnest, right? Gotcha. Um, so very much like the, like Dulahan and stuff from mm. Celtic yeah. mythology where it's mm-hmm. like, there's that kind of realm between the in-between, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I have is that there is a legend of the Night of 100 Demons 
um, which is a parade that the yokai would travel through village villages seeking to trick or do worse to humans who came along their path. Mm -hmm. So villagers would hide um, and avoid the avoid the roads on those nights. What I read was that they could possibly tell like when they were going to happen based on a Buddhist holiday and or um, based on the Chinese zodiac to kind of guess when that would happen because it was a night like Halloween where the veil was in its thinnest and they could be they could come through more easily. Gotcha. Um, the Buddhist holiday is kind of uh, on the, along the lines of Day of the Dead, where it's mm-hmm. the members of fam- past family members are coming back, but then the yokai can kind of play tricks on you and yeah, gotcha. You know, really similar to what mm-hmm. we see with Halloween and Day of the Dead in yeah. different areas mm-hmm. of the world. So, yep, that's the beginning of yokai and getting into Japanese mythology for me and creatures. There are literally I was watching this YouTube video and he's like, there's no number of yokai. Yeah. There there could be thousands. It's yeah. Not like you know how many Crazy. monsters there are, right? And so Oh my gosh. It was everything like, could be a monster. Exactly. So he's just like Yikes. Like, you can't really define how many there are. And yeah. even he was saying, like, even different um yokai can have different personalities, even if they're the same like species of yokai yeah so it's just like this kappa likes cucumbers more this kappa likes anuses more (laughs) but anyway that's beginnings of japanese mythology excellent with oh i'm so excited me so there we go very nice awesome So we are going to wrap up Betty and Barney Hill's alien abduction encounter. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So I told you that I was going to try to debunk it for you a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to succeed in that. That is. I know. I'm sorry. I really tried, but uh, I can only do so much with the information that I have. I'm incredibly disappointed. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. But okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. We'll just form our own opinions on it. And then our humble, humble opinion. Exactly. In our humble opinions. This okay. is trash. <laughs> it's not. I'm sorry. That was not meant to be mean towards you. I just don't <laughs> like aliens. I'm fine. I'm ready. It's <laughs> fine. I understand. My feelings are hurt. Okay, so last time that we left Betty and Barney, they had undergone hypnotherapy with Dr. Simons, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I don't have a lot because hypnotherapy is a pretty controversial subject in the uh, like psychiatry field. Mm-hmm. Um, so the definition of hypnosis from Oxford languages states that it's the induction of a state of consciousness in which a person apparently loses the power of voluntary action and is highly responsive to suggestion or direction. It's used in therapy, typically to recover suppressed memories or to allow modification of behavior by suggestion has been revived, but is still controversial. Okay. 
So Oxford literally defines it as controversial. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yep. So there is a podcast called Strange Arrivals. Um, it's hosted by a guy named Toby Ball, and it talks a lot about the Hill story. I mean, it really gets into a lot of the things that happened. Um, but so I'm going to use some of the information from that. Um, but Betty and Barney underwent hypnosis to try to account for what had happened to them. They're missing time um, using this repression hypnosis to get these memories out of them, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So from 1961 to now, we have a much better understanding of how the brain works, how hypnosis works, what it is. Um, so there's a term that is used called hypnotic regression, mm-hmm. which psychology today defines as the process by which you enter a trance and recall material from deep inside that is normally not available to the conscious mind. Okay. So on this podcast, he has a clip from a guy named Brian Dunning, who is the host of another podcast called The Skeptoid Podcast. And he states that the case of Betty and Barney Hill is a classic example of recovered memories under hypnosis. Um, He goes on to state that we now have very solid evidence that there is no such thing as hypnotic regression or recovery of repressed memories. It's not a part of psychology. Like if you're actually a serious academic or doctor Mm -hmm. it's not something that you really kind of go to Mm -hmm. Um, but in the 80s and 90s hypnotic regression was kind of brought into the spotlight and there was a group of psychiatric professionals who were working with patients usually children um, that were undergoing hypnosis to recover memories of sexual abuse Um, So there were a lot of claims that came forward stating that these sexual abuse rituals were being organized by groups of Satanists. The whole satanic panic was eventually discredited. And with that, um, hypnotic regression was also kind of discounted. Mm -hmm. So during this time, people were... Sorry, my dogs just got let out. People were stating that they recovered their memories and a lot of innocent people were accused of really terrible mm-hmm. crimes based solely on something that people thought that they were remembering. Right. And Which was probably is, fed to them, right? Yes. Okay. It's very possible. So I I mean, I don't want to say one way or the other that I'm just trying to give facts. Facts. I'm not a doctor. I'm, you know. Okay. Anyway. Facts-ish. Ish. Yeah. What I was able to gather. <laughs> this is my interpretation of oh, yeah. the facts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. So there's a lady named Elizabeth Loftus, and she's a professor at the University of California, Irvine. Mm-hmm. She's also one of the foremost experts on human memory. And she had the following to say. One of the things you can say about hypnosis is that it might be helpful to someone who wants to try to use it to lose weight or stop smoking or be less anxious. But when it comes to using hypnosis to try to dig up allegedly buried trauma memories, that's when you've got to be really, really careful. Because under the influence of hypnosis, especially if you're highly hypnotizable, you are even more susceptible to contamination, to distortion. And then Mm -hmm. when you produce something in this hypnotic state, you have a tendency to believe, well, if I thought this under hypnosis, it must really have happened. So you become right. even more convinced about whether it's <clears throat> true or not. Right. Um, so Betty and Barney were told by Dr. Simons that they were able to reach this unusual depth of hypnosis and recall. Oh, no. Okay. So it's possible that 
now I have listened to some of the like what's available and it doesn't ever seem to me like he's leading them or giving them information. Okay. Um, and they were in separate, they were in two separate rooms. They were in South soundproof rooms. They didn't hear the tapes until later. Okay. So their stories were really similar. I mean, it's, that's kind of where it's a cloudy. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a gray area. Um, because they, you know, he did, he was a very respected doctor in his field, you know, so it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, and memory is kind of a slippery thing. You know, I mean, I can't remember what I did two weeks ago versus two years ago. Right. But, so they were abducted in 61 and they didn't actually start talking to him until 63. So two and a half years later, 24 months. Yeah. Right. It's a really long time. Especially without like milestone memory posts. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's like, yeah. I have things that are vivid, but they're vivid because it's like, oh, I had this drink, yeah. which I've never had before. And then this mm -hmm. crazy thing happened. Right. It's right. like you can usually bounce them off things, but to have no recollection. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Okay. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an interesting. Um, so there's a Dr. Mark Hen. He's a principal lecturer at the University of New Hampshire. And he stated that every time you're telling a story, as you're saying, you know, you've told it a hundred times, you're telling it, you're remembering the 99th time you told it. And the 99th time you told it, you're remembering the 98th time. So people have this tendency to put themselves into the spotlight and kind of change the story to benefit who they are now versus who they were then. Right. If that kind of yep. makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's up for debate. We, you know, we know a lot more now than we do, than we did in 1963 about how the brain works, how memory works, right. how, you know, all of this stuff. So another thing that I wanted to bring up was Betty had been having these nightmares and had talked to Barney about it. And people have used that as Barney was kind of like parroting back the information that Betty had said. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to put that out there too. I mean, okay. who knows? Maybe he was under hypnosis. He was just kind of regurgitating the information that Betty had said right to him, recalling these horrible nightmares that she was having. Right. Yeah. Anything so that's kind possible. of anything is with this story. Anything is possible. Mm -hmm. It's wild. All right, so enough about hypnosis. That's really, that was really all I could get, find, yeah, scientifically give you. <laughs> so they spent six months going up to Boston to these weekly, they went and saw him weekly to Dr. Simon's office um, at their own expense. And after their session sessions were complete, they did their best to get back to normal life. They were really active in their communities. Um, they were both continued their really active roles in the NAACP. Betty threw herself into her work. Mm -hmm. This is when they went to the Lyndon Johnson's inaugural um, ceremonies in Washington in January mm -hmm. of 1965. Um, they did a whole bunch of stuff in the Capitol. And they, during this time, over the years, they kept kind of corresponding with Dr. Simons, and they actually were really dissatisfied with the results of their treatment. Betty was disappointed because she thought that the hip, the 
hypnotism did not give her the assurance that her memory of the men in the road was only a dream. Mm -hmm. um, Barney was angry with Dr. Simons, who assured him on several occasions that it was impossible to lie or deceive under hypnosis, but then discounted his testimony on the tapes. That was my dog. Sorry, she wants to be loaded. Oh, I was like, oh, there's some drama. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she just wants to be let in. Yeah, so Barney felt that Dr. Simons had deceived him, um, like assuring them on several occasions that the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth would be on the tapes. And then at the end, he decided that it was a dream. They kind of felt like it was kind of a bust. Yeah. You know? like, it was great because they had these tapes that kind of told them what had happened, but the doctor that they trusted so much kind of was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So they tried to keep um, what had happened to them, you know, quiet. But in August 1965, their friend Adelaide uh, Dara informed them that a man named John Luttrell, who was a reporter for the Boston newspaper, had interviewed her about the hills. Um, okay. She remarked that he seemed to think that Pease Air Force Base had paid for their sessions with Dr. Simons and that had the Pease Air Air Force Base had sworn them to secrecy. Yeah. Yeah. Luttrell, the Sky Luttrell, called Barney and told him that he knew most of the personal facts about their lives and requested an appointment to discuss the article with them. Yeah. So their friends, who they thought that they could trust, and like, you know, you need somebody to talk to. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to talk that out. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. So Betty remembers that, you know, we told him that we wouldn't be home and this guy shows up at their house and waited for 90 minutes on their doorstep, just waited for them to come home. Yeah. What a yeah. Rude. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he like keeps, you know, they're telling him like, Hey, we don't have any interest in doing this. And he just is persistent. So he, he wrote them a letter and it says, I am endowed with enough determination to try it again and wondered whether we could get together at your convenience sometime on Sunday, August 29th. The Hills <laughs> had kind of had enough and Barney contacted two lawyers in an attempt to force the reporter, the publisher, and the editor to cease and desist. But he was pretty disappointed when the lawyer told him that as long as medical confidentiality was not violated and the story was treated as a news item, they could not legally bar its publication. Wow. <laughs> so the article doesn't appear in the boss in the September Boston Traveler, but in October, in the middle of the night, Barney gets a phone call from Europe. And they're requesting information about his UFO experience. Yeah. Uh, he goes to work the next morning and someone hands him the front page of the Boston Traveler. And the headline says, UFO chiller. Did they seize the couple? So John Luttrell had kind of gone behind their backs, ignored the Hill's request and anyway. published it. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. So things spun out of control. Um, the media surrounded their house, filled their front hall, and like their phone was ringing incessantly. But Betty got home and she wondered if one of their neighbors was having a dinner party because there were cars parked all up and down the street, all around their house. And she goes on the front door and she asks Barney, like, what is going on? And he says he's talking to somebody from London about this paper that's been published. And someone hands the newspaper to her and she 
sees the headline and she walks straight to the bathroom and locks herself in and she can't believe what's happening. Like they told this guy, you know, we don't, we don't want to, we're not ready to talk about this yet. We don't, we don't have anything to say about it. And Barney in particular was really worried that if their captors found out that the story had been publicized, they would come back and deliver some type of retribution against them. He was really concerned about that. Right. Yeah. I can't Um, imagine. No, it's terrible. I mean, you know, choosing to talk about this of your own volition is one thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, because they do, they do go on to publish a book. They agree to have a movie written. I mean, they go on TV shows and all sorts of things, but that's because they decided to. Right. Eventually. Out of eventually, this (laughs) is totally out of their control and this kind of spiraled and. While all these things are happening, they keep seeing UFOs around their house. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So a couple evenings later, they were leaving from Betty's parents' house, and they saw a red-orange light directly in front of their vehicle about 200 yards off the highway. They traveled over a nearby pond, across an adjacent field, and south over the treetops. Its flight pattern was erratic. The craft seemed to follow the contours of the treetops, just like it did when they were coming home. Nope. Mm. Yeah. Nope. So Barney breaks the car and flashed the headlights to signal the craft. And he says that the craft like rocked back and forth as it descended into this heavily wooded area. So the hills turned the car around, went and picked up her parents and like went to try to go find this thing. But they, I, I know why. I don't. I so I've heard a couple of things that Betty just became obsessed with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like she really wanted to. She wanted to either explain, herself. yeah, or you know, like have some type of proof yeah. that you know this something had happened to her and, and Barney mm-hmm. and Delcy because Delcy had some issues too. I mean, the poor dog was left in the car by herself. Like, it's just... Hours, yeah. Hours, yeah. They were kind of surprised when um, the public response was really positive. I mean, people weren't, like, cruel or anything, but they wanted more information. I mean... Yeah, curious. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the Boston Traveler sold the greatest number of newspaper copies in 84 years of publication, and then there were 3,000 requests for reprints of the article. They had requests for additional information, and the Hills agreed to speak publicly for the first time at a forum at the Pierce Memorial Unitarian Universalist Church in neighboring Dover, New Hampshire. This was on a Sunday night, November 7th. People from as far as 40 miles away stood in the frigid temperature. It was raining that night, um, and people stood in the rain for hours only to be turned away. They had to, like, erect loudspeakers in the hallways because oh the building was full. Yeah. The basement and the hallways were totally filled. The 400 seats were completely filled. Um, and they kind of gave a brief overview of kind of what had happened to them. Wow. So on the same night, um, John Fuller was in the area. He was doing interviews of, of local witnesses that there was a lot of UFO activity that was happening in southern New Hampshire. Um, a teenager had seen a UFO at close range. It had sheared off the tops of trees and burned foliage and left physical trace evidence on the ground. What? Uh, 
people Ugh. saw them coming into vegetable gardens and like stealing vegetables, like taking dirt samples and stop. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were over alien. No, we're past it. No, we're not oh. past it. There's a there's there's a couple more things that I'm going to tell you about. So Fuller, this guy Fuller, agrees to meet with Betty and Barney, and he wants to write a book. Okay. And so they are like, yeah, okay, we're really upset about the inaccuracy, inaccuracies. And am I saying that right? Inaccuracies? Yeah. Okay. It sounds funny. It does. It sounds like a funny word. In the article that John Luttrell had written. And so they wanted to set the record straight and they decided to accept Fuller's proposal. So Dr. Simons was involved. Um, and in... Oh, gosh, I'm not sure when it was interrupted, uh, when it was interrupted, when it was published. It's called The Interrupted Journey. Sorry. <laughs> I'll put it in the check. Yeah, I'm not sure when it was published. Oh, it doesn't say it in here. But the um, the book, The Interrupted Journey, was published, and it sold nearly 300,000 copies, and wow. it made its way to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. The in 1975, the movie rights for the book were sold to Academy Award nominee James Earl Jones. He read the book and wanted to play the dramatic part of Barney in the movie. What? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> so the UFO He's incident. Awesome? Like. <laughs> Um, the UFO incident is a two-hour motion picture was presented for the first time on NBC on October 20th, 1975. Yeah, so she actually flew up to New York. Betty flew up to New York to meet the producer, the director, and Estelle Parson, the Academy Award-winning actress who was going to play Betty. Oh, nice. No, I'm just creeped out and keep looking behind me. Oh, there's nothing there. I was um, looking at pictures of the movie. Mm. I love looking at pictures of movies. And is it creepy? Yeah. Yeah. Yucky. I mean, it's clearly like teenage boys in sure. alien masks, but sure. not still, still not happy about it. Yeah. No. What? Blick. Yuck. Yuck. Blick. All right. So, um, yeah. So they were busy. I mean, they were doing stuff. They were, you know, they appeared on. The Mike Douglas Show, a show called To Tell the Truth, Arc Linkletter, um, The Merv Griffin Show, and The Alan Douglas Show. I mean, they traveled a whole bunch. They promoted the book at colleges, public meetings, radios, television programs. I mean, there's hundreds of hours of interviews with them talking yeah. about all of this stuff. Like, it would take a year to listen to everything. Wow. Okay. Um, so while they were doing this... They were also approached by scientists who kind of wanted to get more information about this UFO that they'd seen. A lot of them came forward publicly, but others came forward and was like, we don't want you to tell anybody that, you know, we're talking because we, our research depends on grants. Yeah. And if it gets out that, you know, we're doing this stuff, then it's a possibility that we won't get that funding. So some of them revealed that they knew UFOs existed, but that nothing could be done until they became officially recognized. And when they asked why they wouldn't take a stand, they were like, hey, you know, our livelihood depends on these federal grant programs. Right. They were approached by one scientist. He was never, he asked them, like, 
please don't tell anybody that I'm talking to you. And he asked them one question. What did the aliens look like? When the Hills described their physical characteristics, he could barely control his excitement. Betty later recalled, he stood there shaking, shaking his head. He said, my God, you really were captured. We asked him how he could be so sure of this. He said that before such a tight censorship had been imposed, he had seen an official photo of the aliens taken from a plane, a good clear picture of them. He did not know where the picture was now, but the aliens in the picture and the aliens that we had met were of the same description. Then he left quietly as he came. Betty maintained confidentiality and carried the scientist's name to her grave. So she never, nobody knows who that guy is. Oh, I was like, well, how are we talking about it? So, but she just mentioned she, she mentioned somebody, that, yeah. but nobody. Ooh, yeah, but. yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. I hate this. I'm good, but I hate it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. So all of these weird things are going on, right? And. Th- <laughs> They decided that they wanted to do some experiments to, in an attempt to contact the occupants of the craft that abducted them. I don't know why. Like, no, you had enough. Yeah, no. I don't even know. They thought that if she could, but what was the term they used? Psychophysical communication between Betty and the ETs. Um, so Betty attempted to reestablish contact with her captors by placing the star map she had drawn under post-hypnotic suggestion, as well as some of the materials that were present in their vehicle during the Hill's initial contact in September. In a letter dated January 14th, 1966, Betty describes her family as hard-headed practical realists who were beginning to feel on edge because shit was happening to them, too. Stop. Yeah. No. She said, she said, we do not believe in ghosts, but we do believe in space travel and life on other planets. So we wonder if these space travelers might have the ability to be unseen to us. Yeah, they had weird things that would happen. So one day ugh, on December 10th, 1965, they came home and there was a chunk of ice on their kitchen table. It's crazy. It was just left on top of the newspaper. And so she put the newspaper in the trash and we stood there staring at this ice um, it looked as though it had been frozen in a bowl. It had some small pieces of leaves, twigs, and dirt in it. It appeared as though to have a pattern in the bowl-shaped chunk of ice. But they put it in the sink because she said that we had enough puzzles in our life and we didn't, we couldn't handle anymore. So we solved this puzzle by destroying it and decided that we would forget this one. Good. Yeah, they they heard people, they heard their front door open and someone walk into their house and walk upstairs. Um, they went and checked and nobody was there. The door was still locked. Um, so I don't know if their house, if they rented their house out to other people or if they lived in an apartment complex, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but she could hear like the sliding doors of the closets in an apartment opening and closing. So I don't know if their fucking house was haunted or if like aliens kind of did like a predator move and were invisible. (laughs) Why sorry. would you be? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you three weeks with this. <laughs> I know. I know. And this one's, I'm just going to try to like bleh, all this crap because we still it. need to go over the star map too. Oh, yeah. This was creepy. 
You love this one. I know. (laughs) Um, She decided that she wanted to conduct another contact experiment. So she stated, it was suggested to me to try to contact UFO by sending my thoughts to them to set up a meeting. I did not think it was possible, but but agreed that I would try. Every night at nine o'clock, I would stand by the back porch and think, UFOs, where are you? Can you hear me? If so, go to Kingston, go to the Barrett's house, land in the field, go to the house and knock on the door. You will be admitted and we can meet. Every night I did this faithfully. I repeated, no harm will come to you three times. After several weeks, her father called her and asked her to come home because he wanted to talk to her. He said that he had received a phone call from his cousin's widow, also named Barrett. And she lived a few hundred feet away. She was 73 years old. She lives alone. (laughs) It says that she's not senile in any way. Um, She was awakened during the night by a knocking on her door. No. This is is very unusual for anyone to pass through the minister's yard and go to her house. Besides, he had the light on and she did not. The knocking was a very strange knock. Knock. Delay. Knock, knock. 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 Stop. People are shutting doors out in this hallway, and I'm just like, stop it. Not welcome. Not welcome here. Yeah. So she had suggested that they go to her parents' house, but instead, her cousin now heard knocking on her door. Mm -mm. Like they couldn't pinpoint where they were at. Yeah. They finally got the right house, and her mother was awakened at like one in the morning at a slow, methodical knock at her front door. Yuck. Um, A neighbor the next day said that he was returning home from his job at about 2 a.m. and he had seen a UFO land or go down in the woods near their home. No. Um, Yep. Yeah. I won't tell you about that one. No, you have to. You want me to tell you? Okay. Tell our listeners. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just, I'm doing this for you guys. (laughs) So, uh, she goes up to Kingston to investigate kind of what had happened and they decided to investigate the suspected landing site. And she wrote in a clump of trees nearest the house, they found all trees in a circular pattern were broken, bent or the bark badly scraped at a height of 12 feet from the ground. And the center was a triangular mark of slight indentation measuring 36 inches on each side. The ground, dried grass, etc. was burned in this area, as well as some of the branches of the trees. In the midst of this triangle was a piece of burned birch bark, which I am sending to you. So the trees were sheared off at the exact same height, which was at the same point, which is about 10 feet from the ground. Um, A small tree had been bent bent over as if like a big weight had rested on it, but it just bent it over. And there were three triangle shaped markings Uh, like something had landed and put feet down uh, yeah yep uh -uh. so she sent the bark off and it was found to have like weird (laughs) it was some weird shit that they found on it Uh. yeah let's see okay so Um, So previously, I told you that Barney's health had declined, but in fact, Betty's also did as well. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. In 1967, Betty's health had declined so much that she requested to go from full-time to part-time. Okay. Um, She suffered from polyps on her vocal cords that required surgical removal in January of 1968. Um, She had to have a second surgery in February, and it left Betty unable to speak above a whisper. In June, she was hospitalized with pericarditis, 
which is an infection of the lining of your heart, like that sack around your heart. Yeah. Um, uh, Barney's health receded briefly, but came back with a vengeance in 1968. Um, They were driving to a scheduled appearance when Barney had this intense vertigo that was so bad that he couldn't drive. He still gave his presentation, like leaning on a, leaning on a chair. Wow. But yeah, when they got, when they left, they stopped at a doctor, but the doctor wasn't able to diagnose Barney's condition as anything more than just a dizziness. Mm-hmm. So on December 24th, 1968, their sweet little pup, Delcy died. Mm-hmm. Yep. On With December. Delcy. Yeah. On February 25th, there was a crazy blizzard that happened and they didn't have to go to work because it was kind of like a snow day. It was an unexpected holiday. Barney was really excited because all the years this is that he'd worked for the post office. This is the first time it had been closed because of the weather. So mm-hmm. they had a nice breakfast. They fed the birds in the backyard and then they decided to play a game of pool. Um, they built a fire and he beat her at two games of pool. He was teasing her. He was in a really happy frame of mind, laughing and joking. And suddenly he put his hand on the back of his neck and said he felt as though a hornet had stung him. Um, He said he felt a second sting and then began to go upstairs. She sees him stumble and he sits on the couch, but then he slips down onto the floor and he's can't figure out like, why do I don't know what's going on? And so she calls the ambulance. And when they get there, he's like joking with them. You know, they're like, what's the matter, Barney? Is the snowstorm too too severe for you to drive yourself? And Barney was like, why should I drive myself when I have you to do it for me? Okay. So they put him in the, they put him in the ambulance. They take him to the hospital. And at this point, he is incoherent. He slipped into a coma. No. I was bawling last night reading this. So Barney had suffered a massive stroke. Um, yeah, he had a cerebral hemorrhage. So the doctor told her, you know, this is crazy to me. The doctor tells her there's no point in my remaining at the hospital for Barney was in a deep coma and he would not come out of it. In fact, the death process had already begun and the hospital could call me when he died. I kissed Barney goodbye and left. Between you and me, there's no fucking way that I would leave that hospital. Never. You could not make me leave. Never. I would sit out in my fucking car. Like, you could not. No. I would not leave. That's nope. crazy. No. Different time, different maybe, you know, like, yeah. and there's nothing she can do. Anyways. No. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, I would sit in that fucking room. Like, there's no way. No. Yeah. But she goes home and um, Barney died at 720. Oh. I know. No. Yeah. yeah, he was only f- 47. <gasps> he was really young. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Now she's alone. No, she's all, yep. She's all alone. <sighs> yep. His funeral was held on Saturday, March 1st. And she went home and stayed there. For eight days. Um, she went out for the first time since Barney's funeral to her mother's home in Kingston. And as she drove, this fucking got me. Um, as she drove 
North on Route 125 at 9 p.m., she noticed two red lights, one on each side of the pole of the power lights. Power lines. At first, she thought the tower lights had been installed within the previous two weeks, but quickly changed her mind when they started to travel in her direction. No. Betty slowed her car, and the lighted object moved over the highway and stopped directly in front of her. As her curiosity peaked, she pulled to the side of the road and stopped her vehicle. Then the object shifted back over the power lines, and Betty was able to scrutinize its shape. It was a disc with a double row of windows, the same as the one she had seen in New Hampshire's White Mountains in September of 1961. Peering into the dimly lighted interior, she could see shadowy figures. She opened the car doors to light the interior, exited the vehicle, and stood almost under the craft, wondering, wondering what to do next. Reasoning that the occupants were curious about Barney's death, she told them that Barney was in a nearby cemetery. It's so oh my sad. God, really, you can't. You can't start crying because I'm like there. Uh, <laughs> Barney was in a nearby cemetery and pointed in the general direction of the grave. The craft rocked back and forth three or four times, crossed over the highway, and headed in the general direction of the cemetery. Betty returned to the car and made a quick exit toward Portsmouth. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so it's not all bad. It's just so sad. It's so well, yeah. she had to go through that experience alone. All by herself. Yeah, telling them that he had died and where he was buried. And then the fucking UFO goes over to where he's buried. Like, like they're looking it's for It's crazy. Him. Like, they're looking for him. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I was bawling last night. I couldn't handle it. This is the second time you made me cry on this <laughs> stupid show. I'm sorry. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. It's, it's so it's, it's so super sad. emotional. Yeah. Yeah. The person that, you know, you go through this harrowing experience with and now you're all alone. You know, you're yeah. Um, when you're like, you still might go. It's the first time you left your house and they're like waiting for you. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Yep. No. Um. So uh, a little bit time, a little bit of time goes by, and her life kind of, kind of gets back to normal. And she develops an interest in, or in organic gardening, and she planted a huge garden up at her mom's house. Just as her life's kind of getting back to normal, she receives a letter from Lakeside, Ohio. It's from a Marjorie Fish, who is an elementary school teacher and a member of Mensa, and okay. she is she tells Betty that she has developed an interest in attempting to identify the astronomical location of the stars on the map that she was allegedly shown during her abduction. So now we're going to get into the star map. So no more, no more tears, no more right. tears. We're just going to get into science. Wiping my tears. Yeah. Um, but before, okay. So real quick, before we get into the star map, I want to tell you about the symbols that mm -hmm. Betty saw in the book that she was supposedly supposed to be given. So she saw these symbols in the book that she wanted to take from this encounter. And Kathleen had asked Betty to draw the symbols that she had seen. So a few weeks go by and she draws what she's seen. And eventually the symbols would end up in the hands of a Dr. Don Dondery, who was a retired associate professor at McGill University. And he had been conducting research on alien abductions. Okay. He came up with the idea to compare symbols from other abductees who claimed that they had seen symbols during their abductions against people who had been hypnotized and hadn't been abducted but had been told 
during the hypnosis to imagine that they had Mm -hmm. and what they would see and if they had drawn out any symbols that during their hypnosis that they might have imagined. Right. Um, So they collected samples from 24 non-abducted individuals and put their symbols on flashcards and they did the same thing with 12 abductees that had actually Mm -hmm. been abducted. So they put all the symbols on flashcards, mixed them up, and then gave them to these undergrad students that were working on this project and told them to evaluate the symbols based on certain criteria, which is super scientific. I couldn't even understand it. Right. Um, They didn't know who had drawn what, but the symbols from the abductees were all scored and separated out separately from the people that hadn't been abducted. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Dr. Dondry compared the symbols that Betty had drawn with the symbols from the people that had been abducted. Yeah. And they were extremely similar. <gasps> Stop it. Yeah. Ooh, that just gave Crazy. me chills. Yeah. Right. So cool. Also, blah. <laughs> also horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so Betty received a letter from Marjorie Fish, who had taken an interest in attempting to identify the astronomical location of the stars on the map. So in 1987, Betty was giving a presentation and was recalling that Dr. Simons had given her a post-hypnotic suggestion that she could draw the star map she had seen if she wanted to. So she goes home later and she draws it out and she gives it back to Dr. Simons and she basically forgets about it. Okay. until 1965 so like a year later um, and she had seen an article in the new york times that had a star map and it kind of seemed to jog her memory so the star map that she had drawn had 21 circles and dots with solid lines and dotted lines connecting them the solid lines were trade routes that's what she was told and the broken lines were expeditions okay so marjorie fish sees a copy of the star map But she decides that she wants to try and find the vantage point in our galaxy from which the map was created. This lady is crazy fucking smart. Yeah. Blows my mind what she does. In her (laughs) sip, in her living room, using beads, different colored beads to represent different stars and nylon fishing line, she starts building. 3D star maps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Her largest model included 256 stars in all that were accurately placed. She would build 23 models all together, all 3D. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fucking smart. Depending on the different types of stars, she would use different colored beads. And she would use information from the... Glessy, Gleesey, Gleesey's 1969 Near Star Catalog. So she had to calculate angles and distance and hang these fucking beads in her living room. And then, yeah, so know the real distance and then calculate it to the mar, like the margin, right? Without a computer. (laughs) Without a computer. (laughs) Yeah. So it says uh, she didn't have access to a computer. She had to copy all the coordinates by hand at the OSU library because the library wouldn't allow the catalogs to be taken out. Of course. Yeah. So she does all of this and she's trying to originally she's expecting to find a whole bunch of patterns that would match this. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a like 
we'll have pictures of the star map, but it wasn't until the fall of 1972 and the discovery of three new stars that she found a match. Betty's star map has stars on it that we hadn't even discovered yet. Which is crazy. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Um, So her work is actually vetted and checked by Stanton Freeman, who is a co-author of this book. Um, He's a nuclear physicist, and he was able to get other astronomers and astrophysicists to vet her work. So the models were turned into a computer-generated analysis at Ohio State, and they found that the two primary stars in the foreground were called Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2. They're about 39 and a half light years away from us. Um, The two stars were found to be fairly close to each other and only a light year distance. So they are binary stars, which is a system of two stars where one star orbits the other. or They both revolve around a common center. Right. So theoretically, planets that do this, that revolve around those stars, kind of like our planets revolve around the sun. Right. Could sustain life. Stanton. He sends this article that he's co-written to an astronomer named Terrence Dickinson, and he has this, he's an editor of Astronomy Magazine, which is young. It's only, I mean, Astronomy Magazine is a huge magazine now, but at the time it was only a year and a half year, it was a year and a half years old. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Um, but he published this article called the Zeta Reticulite Incident in December 1974 issue of astronomy's astronomy magazine. Okay. And it drew more response than any article ever published by astronomy to date. Wow. Um, It almost ruined the company. Okay. So Carl Sagan, so he hosted cosmos and was probably the most well-known scientist during this time. He threatened to sue because They'd used his letters in this article, and later there would be this 32-page full-color paper booklet that was published. 10,000 copies were sold, but Sagan was like, you used my information without my permission. I'm going to sue your fucking pants off. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, And it's the most famous article of all time, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so Marjorie feels like it's important to get Carl Sagan's attention on the star map. So she wanted to get him either interested enough or mad enough to look at the star map and try to find flaws in the data and couldn't and publicly state as such. Right. So this would kind of work in their favor to show proof. So she stated that she'd found some flaws in his work and she hoped that she would that he would get mad enough that he'd look to try to find some flaws in her model. Right. This gets his attention. He threatens to sue. So the articles, the issues pulled from the shelves, but Sagan doesn't stop there. In episode 12 of Cosmos, entitled Encyclopedia Galactica, he shows a simplified version of the star map Betty drew and a map that Marjorie Fish built. Okay. We'll have a link to this because it is bananas. It opens with this scene of a guy driving a car, and it's pretty insulting um, because they're kind of like stumbling out of the car towards this like UFO, but he, he shows Marjorie's map with a different set of lines. And he's like, well, the real test is to take the lines out completely and compare the, where the dots are. And 
he says he's surprised that no one could find a better fit for the hill map because they look completely different when there's no lines. Like, okay, they really look different. So it kind of comes back to that question of Bart. Could Betty have accurately drawn the map after three years of time right. that had gone by? Right. right. So unfortunately, Marjorie Fish con concluded later in her life that there was more data about the characteristics of the stars in our galaxy that had become available and she stated that her identification of zeta reticuli was not accurate yeah all right yeah so in 1993 betty's health declined and she was diagnosed with stomach cancer um in 2000 um she was diagnosed with uh lung cancer and her prognosis was pretty poor um, in early 2004, it had metastasized in her brain and adrenals. She had, she was being taken care of by her daughter and, um, she, oh, I don't have the date that she died. Um, but she did die from lung cancer. Damn. I'll have to look up the date that she actually passed away. Um, but following the funeral service, she was laid to rest next to her husband, mother and father in Kingston, New Hampshire. Ugh. Yeah. So um, that is. Uh, yeah. Long, like that. That is so crazy. Crazy. I, what, like, what a life. I've heard you know, like a 30 minute version of this before. Yeah. You know, like I've heard the really like watered down. Condensed. Version, and yeah. that is insane. Yeah. It is crazy what happened to them. It is just bananas. Awful. Awful bananas. Yeah, that is the story of Benny and Bernie Hill. Anyway, thank you guys for tuning in to the conclusion of Betty and Barney Hill. And our um, first dip into yeah, our first dip into Japanese mythology. Woo, woo, woo. Um, as always, thank you for being here. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Come join our TikTok family. We talk about books and we give a brief recap of episodes. And since we didn't start TikTok until much later, we're going over old episodes. So stay tuned. Check it out. Check it out. If you heard anything incorrect, send us an email at morethemythspodcast at gmail.com and we will happily correct anything that we've gotten incorrect. Wherever you podcast, we also podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Google. Um, if you just follow and subscribe, let your friends know, hey, check this out. Check us out. And remember, as always, tell your friends, tell your family, and tell your mom. Tell your mom. Till next time, stay curious. Bye. Bye. Good harmonizing. Yeah, harmony was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>